Welcome to the Calvary Lake Ozark Message Podcast. Wherever you are tuning in from today, we hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. If you'd like more information about Calvary Lake Ozark, visit calvarylakeozark.com. Hey, all my life you have been faithful. That hit me this morning. Because a lot of times I think about it only when I was walking with the Lord was he faithful. But even in my sin and in my disobedience, even in my rejection of God, he was still faithful. Even when I wanted nothing to do with him, still faithful. And even now when I stumble and I fall and, and, and life and the pressure and sin gets me even here, he's faithful. And, and that's the whole hope and promise that we have in Christ is that he is faithful. And so when he gives us these promises, like the reason we're in the word is because this is where the promise of the Lord is at. He's faithful in that. And so when we are digging through scripture and we are mining these promises, understand his faithfulness. If it didn't waver in our sin and our disobedience, if it didn't waver when we were lost, why would we think that it's going to waver when we're trying to pursue Christ with our life? when we're walking in obedience to what he has for us. Because a lot of times for me, I'm thinking God's faithfulness is somehow intact with my faithfulness. When in reality, if I'm in obedience or disobedience, God's faithfulness never changes because his faithfulness has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with him. So yeah, that, that's what happens over there in those couple seats when we're praying and worshiping. And yeah, those, those are just inner monologues and thoughts that I have. So Colossians chapter two, if you have your Bibles, um, <clears throat> picking up a couple weeks ago, if you remember with Jerron talking about intellectualism, big fancy word right there. So we are picking back up. Um, and there's these four things that Paul is warning against, against the simple gospel. And so the sermon title this morning is just keep it simple. The, the, the gospel is very simple, difficult to live out. Is it a very deep thing? Absolutely. But it is simple. And we don't need to add anything else to it, right? So um, I, I kind of uh, pride myself, in, in not a bad negative way, in being a decent cook, right? I know my way around a kitchen. My grandma taught me how to cook and kind of know my way around a kitchen. So I will put together these really good meals, like I'll get the smoker out, and we'll, we'll have all kinds of really great meals. And my wonderful 17-year-old <clears throat> son, no matter what I make, will walk into the fridge and get a bottle of barbecue sauce and smother everything that I just made. It's like, you can't even taste the flavors and the, what took so much time and passion and marinades and seasonings. All you taste is sweet baby rays. <laughs> Don't have to add anything to it. It's perfect just how it is. And that's kind of what Paul is saying about the gospel. Because there's these false teachers that have come in to the Colossian church and they're just trying to spread sweet baby rays all over the gospel says, no, leave it alone. You're adding to it. And by adding to it, you're diluting the flavor. You're diluting what the gospel really is. And you are, you're attacking Christ in it. And you're putting burdens on people that the Lord never meant to put on us. 
There are certain things that the Lord wants us to do and to carry and to be. But he will give us strength in those to do that. He's not going to leave us. But the things that we try to add on to each other that was never meant to be, those are going to be burdensome, burdensome to us. And so Paul's talking about some of these, so we're picking back up. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, unless you put sweet baby rays all over your food. <clears throat> or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, these are a shadow of the things to come but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism in worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to these, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. <clears throat> so Paul is picking up, he had warned against uh, uh, intellectualism and trying to have this higher knowledge that you need on top of Jesus and only a certain few would get that. And now he's going to go on and warn us about three other things. And so starting in verse 16, it's Paul's warning against legalism. And we hear that and we go right to the Pharisees, as we should. They were very legalistic. A couple ways that the Pharisees would be legalistic, you know, the Old Testament says to honor the Sabbath. Don't work on the Sabbath. And that's all it really kind of said. But they would take it, and now we got to add extra laws on top of that to understand, well, what does it mean to work on the Sabbath? So they would say, you can only walk so far from your house on the Sabbath if you walked any further than you were disobeying the Sabbath. And you know how they got around it, because the Pharisees, they would take soil from their home and they would keep it in their pocket. So when they got to the edge of that marker, like let's say you could only go a mile outside of your house, they would drop some soil down, got another mile. Like, they definitely were teenagers. Like, that just sounds like something some teenagers would do to get around and skirting the law like that. Or they would say, you can't tie a rope with two hands, but if you can tie a rope with one hand, that's not considered work. And they add all this legalistic laws to it instead of honoring the heart of the law. They were trying to honor the letter of the law and add to it. And so the false teachers here that Paul is warning against, their teaching was to be more spiritual, you needed to keep the Sabbath. You needed to keep the festivals. You needed to refrain from eating and drinking certain things. They're taking some of this Old Testament law and they're trying to institute it into the New Testament. Now, if there's anything from the Old Testament that needs to be instituted in the New, I think the Holy Spirit took care of all of that. So simply, even this, the Ten Commandments, 
Only nine of them, there we go. Sorry, I was like, hold on, something's, something's not working right. Fingers in the brain, like that's seven. A weird seven, but it's a seven. Nine of them are instituted, reinstituted in the New Testament. Yeah, we, we still can't murder. That wasn't just an Old Testament thing. That's even for us as the New Testament church. Anybody know what the one that wasn't reinstituted in the New Testament? Honor the Sabbath. So on Saturday, I can do whatever I want. We are released from that law. Some of the dietary laws that were not reinstituted into the New Testament. That's why we can have bacon-wrapped scallops. <laughs> and praise the Lord for that. Because we weren't supposed to be eating shellfish and bacon, let alone put them together. But I'm going I'm to live in the freedom in Christ and eat seafood and bacon. I'll eat every part of that pig except the squeal, right? <laughs> and so they're trying to take these things and add them to. And all of those in the Old Testament, those were just a shadow of the things to come in Christ. Christ is the substance. But they're trying to go back and worship just the shadow of it. Right? So um, we went to the Kentucky mission trip. We talked about that a little bit last week, even in Serve Sunday. And I was away from my wife and my two youngest kids. And it's always fun to come home because that's about the only time that they really like you and are excited to see you is when you've been gone for a while, you know? And so we get out of the van and here they come running to see us. You know what they didn't do? They didn't just jump on my shadow that was on the concrete outside of the church. No, they, they weren't just going after my shadow. They were going after me. And now how awkward would it be if here's my wife kissing the concrete because that's where my shadow was. Well, that's what, you know, that's very awkward if, you, if, you were, if I needed to finish that for you. Very awkward. And, but that's what we're doing here. That's what these, these uh, false teachers in the Colossian church were trying to do. They're going back to the shadow of things, but Christ is the reality. It's like Christ is standing here, and he's like, I'm right here. Like, why are you messing with my shadow? That's weird. Like, no, come to me. And so they're trying to go back and take some of these Old Testament laws and legalism, and they're adding their own to it. In a life that is centered on Jesus and what he did on the cross, it has no place for legalism. And we have to be careful even today how we can become legalistic in our own faith. And it actually creeps in a lot easier than what we think. See, a lot of times I think uh, a simple way that we can become very legalistic is we think we're a good Christian because of our spiritual disciplines. Yeah, you could read the Bible every day and have a heart far from God. You could attend church every Sunday. As the word says, do not forsake the assembling together. You could absolutely attend church every Sunday and be no more closer to Jesus. And we can get real focused on good things. Like if you read uh, Philippians 3, Paul lists good things in his life. But he said, those good things kept me from Christ. That's why he called them rubbish, garbage, refuse, dung. And to get the true biblical sense, you have to go even a more uh, harsh word for that. He said, these are good things, but these good things were keeping me from Christ. It's not our sin that we're talking about. It's how we can add things onto our faith, thinking this is going to make us more spiritual. And I think there's even a little bit of a movement even today about it. There are people that they want to honor the Sabbath, and they want to try to keep an Old Testament Sabbath. Now, if you want to, go right ahead. I'm not. 
I, I, my conscience doesn't feel like I need to go back and honor the Sabbath in any way. I don't think that I need to refrain from eating bacon and pig and, and seafood. I, I, that's not something that the Lord's impressing on me. But what it doesn't mean is just because you do that you're more holy and righteous than me. That, that's not the case whatsoever. And that's what these... Uh, Colossian false teachers are trying to say is, oh, look at us, look at the extra things that I do. I'm better than you. I'm not any more closer to the throne of grace because I'm a pastor. They said something, we just got back from a pastor's conference. One of them said, there's no difference just because I step up two feet on a Sunday morning. I thought, that's good. That was good to hear. We're all in the same boat. Now, there would be a difference. We, we are all a part of the body, but we could be malnourished by our lack of spiritual disciplines. That's something different, but it doesn't make me any more saved. There's not a lesser salvation that the, you know, the malnourished have, and I have a greater salvation because of the look of everything that I do. No, that's legalism. Even Paul talks at the end of Romans about how we can get legalistic in our lifestyles, and we even see it here oh, I, I don't go to hospitals, I don't do that, I just, you know, we, we, we do the natural. Okay, rock on with that. That doesn't make you more spiritual. The one that has affected us personally, not here, but about anywhere we go, is how you decide to school your kids. We homeschool our kids. We only chose that because when I started Bible college, I worked full-time and I went to college full-time. And I don't think God called me into ministry just for me to be a part-time weekend dad. So it worked better for our schedule to keep our kid home so he could actually see his father and his father could see his son. We have no disdain or hatred for the school district. We think that it is absolutely wonderful and does a great thing. But it doesn't mean that we are more holy and righteous as Christians because we homeschool our kids or we choose not to, but there is a lot of judgment of that. Oh, you don't put your kids in school or you'll hear it the other ways. Oh, you don't homeschool your kids, especially in the circle of homeschoolers. That's harsh. And there's a lot of times we can just add these legalistic things like Paul's even talking about, like how you dress. Oh, I see. Now let's be modest in our behavior, stuff like that. But again, there's, there's nothing that I can do to make myself more righteous. There's nothing legalistic that I can add to it. It is simply Christ and in him crucified. And so Paul's kind of telling the Colossians, why are you adding these extra burdens? This is never meant to be that. Focus on Jesus. And then he goes into another warning. Verses 18 and 19, he warns about mysticism. And uh, if, if I get a little passionate about here, you're welcome. So according to this passage, there's those that were in the church and they're talking about being caught up in these weird heavenly uh, visions, and it possesses a cult-like mentality in their pride and their flesh. Oh, yes, I have these visions, and I go in these trances and different things like that because I'm one of the holy rollers, and, and God is speaking to me directly, and he's not going to speak to you kind of people. Hopefully, they don't just take that part of the sermon out and be like, wow, look at that pastor. But that's that's what they were trying to do. It is, and it's vital to remember that anything that we experience as followers of Jesus, it has to line up with the truth of God's word. That God has revealed himself. 
generally in general revelation, but he's revealed himself in special revelation. Now, I will say this. If you are in, uh, if you would travel to other countries where this is illegal and there's very to little, no access to the gospel, you know what the number one way that Muslims are coming to faith in Jesus Christ right now in Muslim Islamic controlled countries? Visions of Jesus. That is the number one way. That would be very awkward for us here. Like if somebody rolled in, I had a vision of Jesus, be like, I'm not sitting next to that person. But we have access to the word of God. And so God is still making a way where there is no way. We sing the song, but sometimes we can get weirded out by that. That kind of vision lines up with scripture. That is not what was being discussed and talked about in the Colossian church. And that's not what this mysticism is about. And so when God reveals himself to us, it has to line up with scripture. So rather than seeking out this mystical experience and this weirdness, we should involve ourselves in the things that has been revealed in the word. Mysticism, specifically Christian mysticism, uh, you might hear it as the new age movement. You might hear people just talking about, oh, I'm spiritual, but I, I'm not a Christian. I don't ascribe to one religion. I'm just spiritual. Uh, you'll even hear uh, famous actors and influencers or whatever like, oh, just speak to the universe. I just want to be one with the one. <laughs> one with the one? Yeah, that's weird. In math class, that meant two. One with one, that's two. And so there's all this, if you want something from the universe, you just speak it out and, and, and the universe will hear you and give that back. Because they're definitely not going to talk about God, let alone let it be who God really is. But there's this mystical, weird thing, and then they go into trances and they would uh, even um, have mantras that they'll say over and over and over again. What Jesus says, you're not going to be heard by your many words. That actually annoys God when you do that. That's even a, a, an occult-type practice that will take this stanza, and we're just going to say it over and over and over again until God shows up. And, and this isn't outside of the church. These are things that are happening inside the church that there are Christians and leaders that are pulling from Eastern religions and trying to Christianize it and say, oh, what are some good practices out there of behavior and how could we Christianize it? Like, if we were supposed to have any of that behavior, would not the Holy Spirit have told us what we need to do? That we don't need to look elsewhere, we just need to look at the word. We need to look at the example that we have in Jesus. And there is this massive movement of this Christian mysticism. So a couple of verses, just a cross-reference, just to uh, give some encouragement. First Thessalonians 5. So if you ever see anything, you're just kind of wondering, what's this about? I love First Thessalonians 5. He says, do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast what is good. So you might see something and it might have a weird kind of Christian feel about it. Test it. There's nothing wrong with that. Or if you remember in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17, Paul's preaching and some people are hearing what he's talking about and, and, they're, and they're not just going to take it at face value, but what do they do? <clears throat> Verse 11, I believe. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So if we see something happening in the Christian circles, 
or if even you hear something from me and you're like, I don't know about that, go to the Word. I used to tell my students, I tell you guys this, we don't have to agree 100%. I hope we have harmony, but we don't need melody. That's okay. But if we're going to disagree, you have to use Scripture. If you walk up to me and say, you know, I just feel like, I just, you know, I think, no offense, we need to worry about what God thinks. We need to worry about what God has to say about this. What are his emotions in regard to our behavior? Is he pleased by that? Or are we a burden to God because of it? It's not really what I think and I feel. We're just going to go to the word and explain its meaning. That's where we need to be. So if you see something, test it. If you hear something, test it. Discuss it. Talk about it. But always allow the scriptures to be the guide and the foundation because this mysticism is what it's, it, what, what, if you wrap it all up in a bubble, what it's saying is there are ways to get to God the Father that we do not need Jesus for, that we can experience him on our own and we don't need Jesus. We don't need the Holy Spirit. We don't need the word of God. This is what the, the essence of this Christian mysticism is all about. And last time I checked, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Oh, you want to talk to the Father? Yeah, you got to talk to me first. That's what Jesus is saying. You, you want to be with the Father? Yeah, you got to be with me. Why? Because me and him are one. Jesus clearly taught us that. And even further, I love 1 Timothy 2, 5, that there is one God and man and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. There's one mediator, not two, not everybody has their own little path of Christian mysticism and new age and whatever works for you to find God and the divine and you could be one with the one gagamagot. It's horrible, horrible teaching that is coming into the church. And even some of these book titles, I Googled it, right? The Cloud of Unknowing. Why would I want to read about the cloud of unknowing, the dark night of the soul, the hero's journey, the lesser key of Solomon? Oh, there we try to Christianize it a little bit, Solomon with all of his wisdom. Well, we want the lesser key of Solomon. Angels in my hair. <laughs> Not joking. Wow. I don't think I have to read that one anymore unless they're talking about like back hair or something like that. Like we're good. Like, and everybody's writing and and again, the whole New Age movement has no standard of theology. It's just anything but what is standard. It's true for you. It's true for you. What works for you. So if you want to rub a couple crystals together and say a little mantra and grab a rubber chicken and, and light some incense and hoopla about, oh yeah, that's for you. You can find oneness with the divine. That's another word that you'll hear a lot about. Oneness with the divine. Speak to the universe. Paul clearly pushes back on this, and I love how he says it in verse 19. These people are not holding fast to the head. Well, what are we talking about? Well, look at context. Go back, Colossians 1. He's talking about Jesus, and he says, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Verse 18, chapter 1, and he is the head of the body, the church, and he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So we're talking about Jesus. He goes, they're not holding fast to Jesus. They're letting go of the Lord. They're looking for other ways to live out their faith apart from Jesus, which isn't even faith. 
they're not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. So the head of the body wants the whole body to grow. He's not going to pick just these few and give them this crazy, weird vision and grow them in their spirituality. No, no, no. He wants the whole body to grow. That's what I love about general revelation and special revelation. It is available to all. You don't have to come to me for more of this. You have this on your own. There's not this special little mantra or visions and, and things that you need to do to try to have a deeper understanding of the divine and of yourself. And if I'm going to step on some toes, I'm sorry right now. You know, one of the easiest ways that this has came into the church, yoga. I know, it's fun. You go to Starbucks, get your, after your yoga class, and it's a da da da. That's what yoga is. That's what meditation, Eastern meditation is about, about emptying your mind. The whole uh, namaste word that they use in yoga means to be, I, I see the divine in you. That's what it's saying. It's not saying I see Christ in you. I see the divine. This is that mysticism that is infiltrating the church where you put yourself in weird physical positions that are actually somewhat painful and you have to empty yourself and your thoughts and, your, and you have to be uh, conscious not of yourself but of the, the cosmos around you. The Beatles were horrible about this. Paul McCartney wrote a song to be cosmological conscious. If you remember that song, very influenced by Eastern Indian religion in this. It is very prevalent in our day and age. Now, is there a thing as Christian meditation? Yeah, Eastern meditation says empty your mind and, and try to become nothingness, uh, very nirvana, one with the universe type thing. Christian meditation isn't empty your mind, it's fill your mind. Fill your mind with the word. Meditate on his word day and night. Think about who he is. Fill your mind with the word of God. Don't empty it. Fill your mind with what the Lord wants us to do, not empty it. And so we really have to be on guard because he's not just picking this inner circle or a select few, but he wants the whole body to be nourished and to grow together. And the growth comes from God, not from us. Remember the story in the Old Testament where man was trying to grow something to God in a tower of Babel? No, no, no. God came to us. We don't need to try to do something to reach him. He came to us. He stepped out of heaven. He's the one that put on flesh. He came to us. And so the growth that we'll experience as a body as a whole and it's going to be knit together and that growth comes from God and the moving and the working of the Holy Spirit. And then our fourth thing, Jaron talked about the first one. Here's our last three. He talks about asceticism. And there's, a, again, another group in the Colossian church that they're saying you need to discipline yourself in such a way that you deny your body, you deny your family, you deny your spouse. It's all about deny, deny, deny. And in doing so, you will show your true spirituality. Oh, I don't eat meat. I'm just a vegan. The same sense of, oh, I don't eat vegetables. I'm just a carnivore. Oh, I don't, I don't do that because I'm a Christian. Now, now, what we're not talking about is sin things, right? 
Grace does not give us a license to do whatever. It is added on things. There are very clear lines of our morality and our behavior that are given in the New Testament that as a follower of Jesus, someone who is in love with Jesus, following him with their life, our life should have a certain behavior and a marking about us. That is not what he's talking about. This is the added things. And the number one way uh, asceticism is lived out is to remove yourself from the world. Because they would look at the world and just see how evil the world is and how broken it is and say, oh, we just need to move off to a high little mountain. That's what these monks would do. We need to be ascetic and live away from all of the evil in the world. The problem with that is the evil wasn't in the world. That's not an external thing. Evil is in their hearts. So you can move away all you want. You're not going to escape it because it's an internal issue, not an external issue. And so they would take this so far that Paul says that there's going to be severity to the body, that there are some that take it so far that they actually beat and whip themselves, trying to beat them into submission to Christ, that maybe if I hurt my body so much that I won't want to sin anymore. We do this spiritually at times. Martin Luther was one of those. He was, uh, he was a monk and off and to the side, and um, he was going insane because he did not understand grace. They would see him walk into the confessional. He would keep the other person, again, this is the Catholic Church, he would keep the other priest in the confessional for hours because of his sin and trying to become righteous on his own and seeking, you know, what do I need to do to be made right? And he's talking about all these sins. He literally almost went crazy. And so instead, they sent him to the university to teach. Don't ask me about that one. But it was when he got to Romans chapter 1, and he heard those words. Let's read them. Romans 1. This is why we're talking about we have to. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. He did not understand that. He was very much in a works-based, ascetic lifestyle, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. And he Paul quotes Habakkuk 2.4, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. He had no understanding of faith and of grace. And when his eyes hit that, his whole world turned upside down. So we as Christians are not supposed to be ascetic in our lifestyle. Now, yes, there are guardrails that I'm not going to go to a certain establishment that is just up the streets. Oh, I got to be where the lost people are. Yeah, no, that's not what we're talking about. But we are called to be salt and light. And light plays really, really well in the darkness. Again, this, this is just home base. This isn't the mission field. We don't come in here and let our light shine because hopefully all of us are following Jesus with our lives. No, we let our light shine out into our lost, broken world. It's a reason we want to go to the fall festival. There's a reason that we want to have a booth at the trick-or-treating when thousands of people are going to walk past us, that we want to create a community of faith that impacts, that we are a light to 
We are salts in our community in which we live. We're not going to ascetic away from it. So if there's something going on in the community, uh, my heart isn't trying to combat it and come up with another event for it. I want to be right in the middle of it. So if somebody says, well, how could you guys as pastors and Christians go to a trick-or-treating? Don't you know the history of Halloween? Yeah, don't you know the history of Christmas? But you still put your tree up every year, don't you? Yep, that's a pagan symbol. So just pull that pagan symbol in every year and set it up and put your presents under it. It's no different. It really is. Look it up. But trick-or-treating, absolutely I know the history of it. And I'm not trying to Christianize it. I'm trying to be a light. Where everybody else is all dressed up as ghouls and da-da-da. Hey, and we just give out candy to say, hey, we're a church and we would love to tell you about Jesus. I'll do anything short of sin to reach people with the gospel of Christ. I don't think it's a sin to stand there with a kiddie pool full of candy and all these little kids that are just dressed up as superheroes and princesses and giving them Snickers. I don't find sin in that. Are the origins of it horrible? Absolutely it is. But the last time I checked, we're called to go and make disciples. We're called to step into our community, to step into that. I mean, when you think of Paul, when he went to, I'm blanking because my history of Paul's missionary journeys is a little fuzzy. He walked into, and there was multiple altars to different gods. They just wanted to cover all the bases. Is it Ephesus? I don't remember off the top of my head. And he sees the unknown God. Now, he could have removed himself and been like, oh, look at the massive idolatry of worshiping other gods. Instead, he leaned into it. Hey, you have, a, you have an altar to an unknown God. I know God. I know a God that's made himself known. It might be this unknown. Can I tell you about Jesus? Instead of being removed from it, he steps into it. And I think the same thing that we are called. Instead of trying to deny ourselves of everything, lean into that. And how can we be used by God in our normal everyday lives? And where's the community already get together? We're going to step into that instead of shy away from it. It always cracks me up because as these ascetics always try to deny everything, you know what they don't deny? Air. Nobody ever says, oh, the passions and the pleasures of just breathing are too great, and I want to be more spiritual, so I'll just stop breathing. They always have to put a, a little line on it because he's saying it's about their pride and their flesh, that they want to be looked up to as greater than anyone because of what they do and how they live. But again, the problem isn't in the external world that we need to escape. The problem is an internal presence of sin and evil in our hearts. And so Paul's saying, be careful. Be careful of intellectualism, legalism, mysticism, asceticism. They're all snares that are going to rob you of a very simple, joyful walk with Jesus Christ. Don't add on to this. Everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness, he's revealed to us. We don't need to add on. And so there's going to be times in our lives we need to look and say, okay, what am I carrying that the Lord never meant for me to carry? Or where do I think this is something that's making me more spiritual, and it's really not, and it's a burden. You know, like, I think everybody needs to be in the Word, but that's going to look differently for us, right? Some of you don't even have a physical Bible, but you have digital because you're hipsters, and you're young, and you know how those things work. Good, be in the Word. Now, just because I like a paper Bible, and I highlight, and I write notes, and different things like that, doesn't make me any more spiritual, or you any more spiritual. We need to be in the Word, 
And even that, some people want to read large portions of Scripture. Rock on. Some people want to take five or six verses and study deep. Rock on. We need to be in the Word. We need to worship. Again, there's going to be different forms of worship, like the worship set this morning is going to look different different than second and third service. There's not one that is more holy and righteous that God is pleased by. And again, we do this because why don't we just sing the good old hymns? They're wonderful. I love them. I want to sing the good old hymns, but it doesn't make it any more or any less. And there's massive battles in the body of Christ about this. You know, like prayer. Prayer is hard for me. I undiagnosed ADD here, right? Like if we're, hey, let's get together and let's pray for an hour, I'm falling asleep in 10 minutes or I'm counting carpet fibers and I'm thinking about anything else. But do I need to be in prayer every day? Yeah, pray without ceasing. So where some people might want to start their morning in this really nice quiet time and in the word and in prayer doesn't mean anything less that I might just do some small short prayers throughout my day. We just need to be in prayer. And so we have to put on guard against one another that we're not putting these heavy burdens because it's all in Jesus he, that's where we find all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's where we find the freedom. And therefore, we need to keep everything focused on him. Because our identification with Jesus, both in his death and his resurrection, that's the foundation of our life, not what we do. It is not about what we do to gain a right standing with God. It's about who he is and will we honor, obey, will we follow him. You hear me joke about it, but it's true. I'm going with the guy that walked out of the grave on this one. That's what I mean by that. We're going to follow Jesus in this. So where there's times that my life or interpretation of the word is going to pull me aside and think, okay, this is what Jesus and the word says. This is what I'm thinking. Yeah, I don't need to reinterpret scripture or faith. I need to reinterpret myself and align myself under Christ. I'm just an under-shepherd led by the chief shepherd. I'm just a sheep at best following the good shepherd. It is all about him. And so even today, this morning, this is our custom that we are going to take communion. And it's a great time just to be reminded again, back to the foundations. What is this all about? It is about the body and the blood of Jesus that went to the cross for us. And three days later, conquered death that our hope is in the life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection, and the future hope that we have in Christ. That's the focus. If we add anything else on top of that, you're just sweet baby Ray in my cooking here. Take the barbecue sauce, set it down. Enjoy the fullness of who Christ is. Whatever we add dilutes the fullness of the gospel. So, not too bad in here, so we shouldn't have too much traffic issues, but go ahead and stand. Come down the center aisles, work away, grab bread, juice. They're going to play some music. We'll make it a moment. Uh, keep it, and we will take communion together as a family. It is gluten-free, so uh, rock on with that if you need it.
Hey guys, while they are working through uh, communion, we just wanted to come in and just say, hey, even watching online, go ahead and go grab your elements. Go ahead and go yeah. grab, you know, if it's a cracker at home, I don't know too many people that don't have crackers yeah. you know, or something, a chip, go grab juice. Because here's, here's the idea. We want you to participate in communion with us. And there's nothing special. Like we use gluten-free bread. Literally just literally gluten free bread gluten that we cut up in small yeah. pieces. And what's the other thing made out? Grape juice. Thank you. I forgot what yeah. that was. But here's the thing, you might not have that at home. You have a loaf of bread, you have a cracker, like he said, even if you just have like a saltine. Coffee. Like, yeah. Grab now maybe you probably shouldn't on the long term yeah. use coffee. But yeah, yeah, yeah. we want you to participate in um in this act of remembrance and of worship with us as we as we partake partake communion together as as a body of believers as a, as a church and so just want to encourage you with that want to encourage you with having uh, like it's okay like get up go get that come back they are still walking through we're gonna go back live here in the service and then we're gonna participate in yeah. communion together yeah so just get your stuff together get ready um pastor nick will go over and and you'll be able to join us in service and i'm taking the bread and you know, drinking and just remembering what God has done for us. So we'll send you back down there. Somebody stop me as they're grabbing the communion. Athens is where Paul was at. See, I don't have the whole Bible memorized and it's okay. And I'm still not more spiritual than you or you than me. We're all in this together. But it was in Athens. Our faith is in Jesus, in Christ alone. Not Jesus and, not Jesus or, not Jesus and a couple scoops of, it's in Jesus. And I really do feel with every bit of me that when I stand before him and said, why did you live your life according to how you lived your life? I wanna look right at Jesus and say, I took you at your word. And if you said, nobody comes to the Father except through you, if you said you're the one mediator, if you said that it is your name that is proclaimed and is higher than any other name under heaven and on earth, I'm going with you because you're the one that walked out of the grave. You're the one with the promise and the hope. And so if I lose anything, I don't think I will, but if I were to lose anything, it's because I think I would only lose it on this side of earth. And whatever we lose this side of glory in, in obedience and reverence to Christ, whatever he has for us on the other side of glory will be greater than the loss that I've suffered here. And there's nothing more that we need to remind us the symbolism of the bread and the cup. It is all about Jesus. And so on that night, he took that bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. He says, the cup, it's my blood poured out. It's a symbol. It's a new covenant. It's a new thing that I am doing. Again, it's all about Jesus and what he is doing. And so when we take the cup, we remember him, what he poured out for us. Father, continue to lead and guide us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Kindle afresh that gift that we have in him, that we may follow Christ. 
And as we even talked at the pastor's conference, not just us as leaders and pastors, but us as a church, that we would be resolved, that we would be fixed, that we would be completely sold out for you, Jesus, that every aspect of our lives, we live in response to you, your goodness, your faithfulness, your grace, your love, your mercy, to your word. Lord, continue to lead and guide us that we would be your hands and your feet in this community, that people would come to know you in a saving relationship with you. Give us that kind of faith, Lord. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. Have the prayer team over here. If you guys have anything that you'd want to pray about, nothing too big, nothing too small, we'd love to pray with you. Other than that, you are free to go. Go love God, love others, impact the world.